when I got on that plane, I just like threw myself into the unknown and was like, life teach me. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. Um, so today we're talking with Susan Barnes, who is actually a friend of my mom. <laughs> and it's so so the reason why it's kind of funny is that so when, you know, my mom works at like a corporate hedge fund. Right. And Susan, it's like when you go on your website, it screams almost every like you know the exact possible opposite of corporate hedge fund that you could possibly get right you're like a healer and like you do all these like meditation like you you do all this yoga and stuff like that and it's just so like it's such a 180 and so part of what i would love to hear from you about is just like where where like where are you and where are you going and where did you come from you know <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Isabel. That's a great intro. Yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe I'll start with the past as that yeah. would probably inform where I'm at currently and where I'm going. Um, so, you know, I, like most, I think, American youth followed a very distinctive uh, pathway, traditional pathway of uh, checking the boxes of go to school, graduate from high school go to college, get a degree, graduate, get a job, do those things because that's the recipe of life. You know, and then after that, you know, you get married and you buy a house and, and then you work for 87 years and then you retire somewhere nice, right? <laughs> um, and for me, you know, <laughs> you know, just not knowing anything, right? Because even when you're in college, you're a child. Like, and, yeah. and even when you're in high school, you're a child. And, yeah. you know, I remember I didn't even have... Um, uh, my major selected. It, it was an inadvertent thing. I was very good at mathematics. And so I was, uh, I had a free period my senior year that I could take whatever. And so I took accounting because my mom was like, take accounting, it's super useful. And so I did that. And I was, it was so easy for me that I was like, oh, this, this is a thing that I can major in. Okay, sure. And that was literally the thing. That I, like, <laughs> and there's your life path. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like a 17 year old. Right. And so, you know, so much of life is a game, right? And there are particular rules to be the winner at that game. And so I played the game in college. I was super nerdy, you know, like I, I was the president of the accounting fraternity because I knew that's what I needed to do to secure myself a, an internship at, um, you know, the top public accounting firm in Manhattan, which is where I wanted to work. And so I did all the things that you're supposed to do, performed well academically, um, graduated on time, things of this nature in order to get me in the door of that place that I'm supposed to be in. And then the rules are you stay in public accounting for X amount of years, and then you move into the private sector. And <clears throat> I think I interned with uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers in between my uh, junior and senior year. Uh, and I went into insurance because it was like one of the boxes I could check. And so I checked it. And then I was like, that was terrible. I don't want to ever go into that industry again. Mm -hmm. And so when given the opportunity for full-time work, I checked um, alternative investments and investment management because I thought it's probably really good for me to know how to manage my money. Little did I know that that is an unregulated industry, which means that the hours are insane, like over a hundred hours every week. Like it's just, and that's just how you earn your stripes. But you know, saw the end in sight and eventually made the move to private. And this was the hedge fund world. 
and this is how I know your mother. Um, where the hours were still not great, but much better, and the pay was much better, and that was the difference. And having the ability to actually start working less meant that I had more space to think, feel, be, and recognize that there was this emptiness that was sort of inside of me. That even though I was checking all these boxes, that there was an incompleteness that existed. And I wasn't really sure why that incompleteness existed because I did all the things that you're supposed to do. And so at the time, you know, aside from my very haphazard way of making life decisions up until that point in time, um, I was also very calculating in terms of recognizing uh, my need to care for my mother financially. Um, she's very sick and she was sick since I was born. And so there was a, an understanding since I was um, able to work that I would need to be able to care for her financially. Um, and so a part of that choice in my life path ultimately got me to the place where I could make the most money with my degree. And I was doing the thing. And, you know, for me, there wasn't sort of any other alternative with what was happening. I was fundamentally stuck in my role because I had a responsibility. Um, but at the same time, um, even though I felt that incompleteness, I used my exorbitant amount of discretionary income to absorb my time with a wide expanse of entertainment. I was living in Brooklyn and I was going out on the weekends with my friends and that was the life that I created for myself until eventually I was relinquished of the responsibility of financially caring for my mother. She's fine. But it was a moment where I was just like, whoa, wait a second. Like, I, I don't have to do this anymore. This does nothing for my soul. Like, I'm, I'm actually free. And it was uh, just a moment of like this epiphanic moment of like, I can, I can, I can do whatever I want to do. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> but I know it's not here. I know it's not doing this. this I'm not contributing in any way beneficially to society. Um, and so I said that I would, you know, work one more year and then retire from that and throw myself into the world and allow it to be my teacher um, so that I could figure out the thing that actually would allow me to feel completeness inside. And there was an inherent knowing that, like, I don't know what that is, but it's got to be better than what this is. And I'm going to give myself the time to figure that out. And so now you fast forward to my website that you see. It's like free woman, like the complete <laughs> antithesis right? of, of, you know, modeling and, you know, um, working with people and healing them and, uh, and healing people through meditation as well. And I'm also an artist, like all these different modalities were, were this process of me exploring these different parts of myself that were coming to the surface suddenly that had room to breathe. And it's like, oh, let me just pick up this pen and see, oh, actually, I can draw. I didn't know I could draw. <laughs> I've been doing math this whole time, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, meditation was something that, you know, I came across very early in my post-corporate experience. And that tool has uh, definitively changed my life and shaped me in profound, meaningful ways. And, and so that was a course um, that I enjoy introducing to other people. Um, and as a result of just the state of the world that we're in, in terms of mental health, is in demand, very much in demand. And it's not going anywhere, um, you know, and then even when I was in the corporate world, there was I had this very strange magnetism of always finding myself in places where people were seeking guidance in life. I'd be at a, like a warehouse party in Brooklyn and I would be going and getting like some water 
and I'd be just standing there waiting. And then someone would walk up to me and just be like, have you ever thought about what, what we're doing here and what the meaning of life is? You know, <laughs> you know I would just be like, well, what do you think the meaning of life is, right? <laughs> and suddenly just go into this, this exchange of profound depth that ultimately the person would have like an aha moment and like walk away. And then that was it. And this was very normal for me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I found that suddenly I had the capacity and the space and the time of being in the world that this magnetism was not like a fluke thing, but it's just who I am. And so this course of just experimenting in life, life showed me that like, oh, this is just one of the things that you're supposed to do here. And so this kind of like expanse into the unknown of like what life is allowed me to try so many different things and be drawn to things and discard the things that didn't work and attach to the things that did work and for as long as they wanted to work. Um, and then that brings me to now and where I'm going. <laughs> Very long-winded. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so much of what I've been doing has been rooted in the ethos of my fascination of the evolution of humanity, specifically the evolution of human consciousness, like seeing where we've come from, where we are currently, and where we have the capacity to go. And a lot of the work that I do is private with people one-on-one. And it's been incredibly rewarding and beneficial to act as a catalyst of transformation for people that are ready to transform in their lives um, in a way that's, that is wholly positive for them overall. And yet it feels like it's not enough and it's too slow given the state of the world that we're in. And so as a result of the pandemic, I kind of have pivoted towards um, now working with organizations instead. So working within businesses that are doing things that I think are actually meaningful to humanity and to our earth. And, um, assisting their teams in, in developing well-being, um, mental, spiritual, relational, emotional, uh, physical well-being, um, so that they're able to show up for the demands of life and work um, and contribute meaningfully, creatively, um, productively to the organizations that they're affiliated with for the sake of ensuring the success of that organization's mission. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, and there's more to that, but I'll just take a sip of water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I have a quick follow up. So you mentioned that like you realized you didn't want to be where you were in Brooklyn um, and also just like where you were in your life. And then you kind of discovered all these passions. Did you have any inkling that you had these passions or like had this uh, like had an affinity for these things before that point? Or did, did they really all just kind of like seemingly come out of nowhere for you? They were. um they were natural expressions that came from me even while I was in corporate. Um, I would say after I left public accounting and I had more time to myself, suddenly I had all this time and I wasn't accustomed to having a lot of time. And so um, in that, in that spare time, I would spend alone resting and recovering um, and I would draw or I would write a great deal. And I would say probably in 2013, and this is about four years before I left the corporate world, I had um, uh, somewhat of, uh, of an awakening to the whole, like, this doesn't feel right to me. And in the process of that sort of like waking up to the reality of my situation and the way that it was not fulfilling me, um, I made the connection of, oh, people, people seek, are seeking help and I'm able to help them. So let me put energy into that. And so I started 
uh, first through friends and word of mouth to just see people uh, in this healing modality from home for free, um, just for the sake of like, I didn't need the money and it was clearly something I could do. Um, but for me, it, it soothed that emptiness that I was feeling inside that, that non-fulfillment, that unfulfillment. Um, but it was only band-aids um, because I was spending the rest of my days, the rest of the time um, doing something that I didn't love and that didn't bring me fulfillment. Um, so there were definitely emergent elements of these natural gifts and curiosities that I, I started to explore, but then actually full, gave myself full permission to dive into once I just left it all behind. That's super cool. I feel like there's so many like people that I know who are at various stages of like going through that awakening that you're talking about. <laughs> and it's almost like on a collective level, it feels like that's happening for us kind of as a generation of being like, oh, whoa, this is like the rat race is obviously not fun. It's unsustainable. Like <laughs> it's almost like hard to have this because I feel like because it is something that we all feel on this almost generational basis, it's almost hard to have a conversation about it in a in like with respect to the particularities, because I feel like I've had so many of these same conversations that you were talking about, you were having in Brooklyn with all of these people in warehouses is being like, oh my God, like, you know, we are, what are we doing, right? And yet I feel like it is so hard for people for mo for many reasons, financial reasons, for, you know, scarcity of, you know, your 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 parents' approval or or whatever it is, right? To mm -hmm. off-ramp the rat race in the way that you did. Right. And what I don't know. What did you like? What in your mind do you feel like was the thing that kind of like enabled you to to go in this direction? And like, what do you think would enable more and more people to I think like I think we've all kind of had this realization. I've certainly had this realization. I was just working at Fannie Mae. I just quit my job in December. I'm now trying to start like an end of life business where I, we can like, you know, help people, especially because during this pandemic, we've discovered that the way we die is incredibly fraught. And <laughs> there's a, like a lot to be. um there's still a lot to, to of gaps that need to be filled. Um, and so I've definitely gone through that exact same thing. Um, and yet I, I feel like there's just still so much that is holding people back, you know? I think the inhibition that most people have in actually listening, like to the compellings of their heart, is, is fear. You know, so much of the way that we operate growing up and the choices and decisions that we make are within the context of what we already know. And the moment that we start to entertain the possibility of something that is uncertain, outside of the lens of our scope of understanding ourselves and how the world works, that the, we are immediately confronted by tremendous fears, like just so many of them, whether that is the familial context that we grew up in and the particular subset of expectations that our parents have for us, whether it's the way that we perceive the world at large um, and whether, and, and, and primarily very fundamentally, like how we perceive our own survival, like how we are as an individual to go out into the world that is uncertain and how we will be okay in the midst of that, mm -hmm. of that gigantic question mark. And so for me, 
you know, all of the fears were there, but what I was experiencing in my heart in relation to the possibility of continuing what I was living day in and day out, that really was not the thing for me. Um, I made a choice that whatever was on the other side of that, which I didn't know at this point in time, couldn't be worse than what it was that I was feeling. And mind you, I had everything, right? Like I had a very successful job. I was crushing it. I had a great team. Like even in, you know, even in the finance industry, it's a very, it can be a very toxic environment, but I had found myself within a firm that was incredibly progressive and actually fundamentally cared about people's well-being. Um, so I actually struck gold in terms of like my career and professionalism. And yet I still felt like something was missing. And that feeling that something was missing was my own soul, like my own soul, whatever, my heart. That was like, this is not you. This is a role that you're playing, but this is fundamentally not who you are. And I thankfully had, you know, um, you know, and I'm grateful for this, that I had the freedom to make that choice. I didn't have any sort of uh, pressure and even the societal pressures that exist. They didn't inhibit me from ultimately making the decision. And even in the course of saying, I'm going to do this thing and a year and four months until I actually got on a plane and left America, so many fears surfaced in the course of that. And I knew that was the nature of what was, was going to happen. I knew that by stepping into the unknown, that my mind was going to do everything that it could to try and convince me that it was a bad idea, even though I felt miserable. Um, and so there was a certain amount of like mental fortitude that I had in order to actually confront the fears as they arose, look them in the face, go through the exploration of what's on the, the other side of them. What is the worst that can happen in relation to this particular fear? And then move through it and do that over and over and over again. And so it's not a simple process. I mean, for some people, I'm sure it can be very simple. They're like, nope, I'm out. A girlfriend of mine did that like a, a year into working in public accounting. She's like hundred hour weeks, no thank you and left, which was like unheard of for most people. Um, and that takes courage. Um, and that's another part of it is, is, are you willing to experience the possibility of adversity, not only for self, but outside of you when you decide to step on a path that is wholly your own? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that I, I, I made a decision at some point, like, I don't know if it was after college, if it feels, it feels like a, maybe it was like four or five years ago where I decided that I was going to really try to make a conscious effort to not let fear guide my decision making um and i think that that was like very transformative for me and i think that i often relay that to people and i do so with a little a little bit of humor um and that probably like you know muddles the <laughs> muddles the message to be fair um but i do think that yeah that like making the choice or making the active decision to like think about what's holding me back from making a change. And if the only thing is just that I'm like afraid of what's going to happen when I do, then I try to not like, you know, I try to not let that be the stumbling block, you know? And that's super wise. That's super wise because, you know, and I've spoken to this before, you know, 
fear is just a tool. It's information. There's information coming through us all the time. And the beauty about fear is that it helps us to actually discern like what our personal edges are, like what our boundaries are. Because only once there is form to that boundary are we capable of transcending it and growing. And so seeing fear is not something to be afraid of, but actually as a constructive tool of like real time feedback of like the edge of growth, making that conscious shift is something that can be incredibly expansive for one's journey in life. And I think that it's important to acknowledge that like, I think that like making the change or like making steps to making, to making, you know, whatever pivotal life change, I think for you, it was like deciding to, you know, step away from the industry that you were in. Um, you know, I think it's like also important to acknowledge like that it can happen like incrementally. It doesn't have to be, um, like a huge radical shift, um, like all of a sudden. And I think you even mentioned something that was, I think important for me to recognize was that like things like the stars had to kind of align for you in order to be able to make that call. It's important to have grace with yourself when you realize like, if you have the realization like, Oh, like shit, I need to make a change. Um, and you know, set like a, like set a realistic timeline of what like that change can look like, you know? And I'm curious, Susan, is that what you help people with when it comes to trying to do this like healing work or is it something else? It's something else. Oh, okay. So yeah, what do you, what does that mean exactly? So I attract people that are usually on the cusp of some sort of change in their life. And a lot of the times we can try and ignore what we feel inside, especially if we experience dissonance with like what it is we're actually living versus this, what's coming up for us inside. And Oftentimes we want to look to others for help in that. Um, maybe we've had our moment of awakening. Maybe we are dissatisfied with some foundational aspect of our life and we want to move through that. I actually help people to just hear themselves. I help them to recognize that they already inherently have everything they need inside of them. And a lot of the times it is blocks that people are confronted with that they don't know how to move through. And these blocks take the form of conditioned constructs of how they perceive themselves and how they perceive the world that they live in. And so, you know, when we're born, we're born into a very specific reality, like, like, a, like whether or not you're, you're a woman born in upstate New York or you know, in 1985, or you're a, a boy born in Pakistan in 1966, your experience of reality is drastically different depending upon the type of reality that you assimilate into, which is informed by your familial structure first, then your social peer structures, and then as your general worldview that is adopted culturally. And this creates the form of how you experience life and how you make decisions in life. Like these are all these things that underlie your belief system. And so oftentimes people have experiences in which there is a divergent uh, moment where the belief systems and the foundations that they rely upon and to make decisions and to make sense of the world, suddenly something happens where that 
like you, that bubble that they existed in gets popped and something new opens up inside of them and they're trying to make sense of this new way of identity. Um, and from that new way of relating to identity and self, they can make different decisions if they feel dissatisfaction with what they're experiencing in life currently. And so I basically just midwife that process for people. I help them get to the core. They usually think they're coming to me for one thing. And when we get to the surface, you know, when we get underneath the surface of it, there's usually some subconscious um, narratives that are underlying this on a much deeper level that can be probably drawn back to childhood. And we open that up and we take a look at that and we see what is this underlying belief structure that is informing this moment, this junction of growth. And oftentimes when it gets opened up, then people can be healed, right? Because they've carried around a particular perspective that wasn't necessarily true. Um, they can perhaps forgive someone that they've never forgiven. They can see a situation differently, but all that healing, that, that shift in perspective, right? All it is is a shift in perspective can have profound effects on a person's overall well-being of self and how they are in the world. And so that's kind of like a description of what it is that I help people with. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Like what are the verbs or tools associated with doing that? Like are you just talking to people or are they meditate? Like what is, yeah, what do you do to facilitate that? So it's mostly an inquiry. It's a process of inquiry. So I think you and I, Isabella, when we were speaking before and you told me you had a lot of questions, I said, great, I'm only as good as the quality of questions that I'm asked. And the same is true in reverse. Like if I want to know you, I'm not going to ask you like, <laughs> um, so what is that you do? If I want to know you, I'm going to ask you a different question. I'm going to ask you, that was the most painful experience of your life that you can remember. That will show me more of your humanity, right? And so ultimately what happens if I have a session with someone and they're seeking guidance around a specific thing, they'll share with me the thing that they want. And I'll, uh, I'm able to pick up on the subtleties of language, behavior, uh, body language, things of this, like this. And if you allow people to speak, you can actually tap into a small pinpoint of like how they perceive things, how they perceive circumstances and situations. And so I then open up inquiry. I begin to ask questions that challenge their perspective, that challenge their belief system. Mm -hmm. um, and it's through that process of inquiry that they begin to see things in a different perspective. Like the question itself can shift like, the lens in which they're perceiving the experiences that they have currently and where they're going, things like this. And so it's this constant process of inquiry. And I do it in this manner because number one, I only know my experience. That's it. I'll never be able to, to step in your shoes. I'll never be able to tell someone what to do because I actually am not in a position to tell someone what to do because I don't know what they should do. They're the only person that knows what they should do. And so I create a runway in which they're able to inquire inside and make those decisions on themselves, like for themselves, um, and then just guide them in that process and hold them through these realizations. Um, and, you know, depending upon the state that the person's in, I might actually incorporate meditation. Like uh, I might prescribe people that are not embodied, as you mentioned before, that are so cerebral and detached from themselves. I might prescribe, like if I see that, um, 
a need to double down on their self-care, a need to take care of themselves, a need to actually sit down and feel what it is to have legs in space, <laughs> right? Um, I may prescribe um, certain literature um, that I think might be fundamentally useful for their opening and their process. Um, so it's very bespoke and it's unique for each person depending upon what they're seeking, uh, where they're mm -hmm. at and where they're going. Mm -hmm. Have you ever wanted to like become a, uh, like a licensed therapist, for example, or is this like, do you feel like what you do exists in like a very different space than what like a therapist would do? Psychology always was fascinating to me. I took some courses in college. Um, for me, I don't see what I do as therapy. Um, I actually don't have space for therapy, um, to be honest with you. Um, and I actually, uh, in the, I have like a little waiver that I have clients sign um, to basically say like, I'm, I'm not your therapist. Like I'm just here as an asset for you during a, a transition for the most part. Um, I wouldn't say that what I do is therapy. Um, and, and this is, you know, and I would have to say that in the course of the work that I do, it's been a struggle for me to actually adequately appropriately title what it is that I do. And even when I say healer, it's, it doesn't like, it still doesn't hold the resonance of the work that I do with people, even though it's a byproduct of what usually transpires in sessions. Um, the closest I've ever come to is just like a, a personal growth facilitator. Like I'm just there to hold the space for a person to go through a process of meeting themselves and being in support of whatever comes up to assist them in getting from where they are now to the person that it is that they're becoming. And because of that, you know, I, one of, one of my more recent clients, I would say maybe we were working last July. She said after our first session, it accomplished so much more for her than six months of therapy had in just one session. And I don't know how to qualify or quantify that or how to even adequately identify what it is that I do that can lead to such an accelerant change for people. Um, and so at a loss for words, like I just say healer. <laughs> How long have you been doing that for? Mm, over a decade, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, more seriously, probably the last three and a half years. And is it what you were expecting when you kind of like, you know, left your corporate job and is like, is it kind of like what you wanted it to be? Because I feel like there's definitely, you know, it, people also on the flip side, you know, have these visions of like, oh my God, once I quit my job, like I'm going to do X, Y, Z thing. And it'll be great. Right. And, you know, that can also have like a, a downside. Right. And I don't know is that, if that, um, you know, applies to you or if it's, it actually has been like, you know, what you were expecting. Uh, it wasn't what I was expecting at all. I literally, like, when I got on that plane, I just, like, threw myself into the unknown and was like, life, teach me. Like, show me what you got, you know? <laughs> and, you know, for me, the time that I stepped away from the corporate world was one in which I could begin to test um, the subjective phenomenon of reality. Like, that was really of interest to me. 
Um, and I think one of the many goals that I had was to really begin to understand the malleability of reality as it relates to what each day could create, how each day could be different, what could be what I could be surprised with. And, you know, again, I was actually working with like really basic stuff. Like I didn't know if I was a morning or a night person because I was doing both all of the time. So like my process was first to heal from being misaligned, like being in a career that was, you know, out of, out of alignment with who I am as person. Um, because like that, you know, the woman that you see on that website was always there. And every time people, <laughs> whenever I met people, they were just like, um, you're an accountant. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I wanted to sort of just like start from zero, essentially start from nothing and see what would naturally open up. And again, like this consistent theme in which like I was, people were just coming into my field and they were seeking guidance. Um, and so I just saw it as like, oh, this is just a natural extension of like clearly one of the things that I can do and do well here. Um, that actually is beneficial and helpful and what I see as being conducive to the evolution of human consciousness. Yeah. Well, it's almost like, you know, you help people with like facilitate personal growth. And I feel like, I mean, I guess because we're going through this collective societal ordeal together, it's almost like that's just happening on a mass scale, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I like reflect back to my old life, like pre pandemic. Yeah. And there are a lot of things that I miss about it, but at the same time, like, I think I had a lot of room to be more intentional with the way that I was spending my time. And like pre pandemic, I had something to do. Like I had an obligation like every day of the week. And I healed. I hated, I loved everything that I was doing, but I hated that I never had any time for myself, you know? And so I'm really wary going back into like, eventually going back to a quote unquote regular life. Um, I'm wary of getting there again, you know? So I, I'm like, I'm trying to like keep in my head that, you know, I don't want to go back to exactly what I was doing before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if, like, either of you are experiencing any of that of, like, damn, like, do how do I, like, how do I want to spend my time when I get back to a, like, life outside? Um, you're speaking to boundaries. And yeah. I think a part of the process of meeting ourselves, after, like, post-pandemic, is a recognition of what we do and do not have tolerance for in order to create an understanding of, like, what we want our life experience to be like and to be able to find balance in that. And it comes back to just being able to say no and being firm in that. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's such a, like, that's such a thing that we all, that we, that like just so many people I know really struggle with. Like, I don't oh, yeah. feel like, so we, so we had an episode recently on, decolonizing parenting right and one of the things the woman who we spoke with for that episode yolanda talked about was like how are we supposed to teach our children how to like emotionally regulate and have boundaries because like that was just not something that most people were probably taught when they were growing up right that's just not something that our parent generation necessarily like was talking mm -hmm. about was thinking about in the same ways that we're thinking about now 
And so we all are kind of going through this process of trying to educate ourselves and each other on how to do those kinds of things and like outline our how our relationships with people and communicate and have emotional intelligence, right? <laughs> those are all things that are just so it feels like we're like level 2 of 10, you know, just <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Right? Because like these are <laughs> fundamental components of of us. Like this is the stuff that should be taught in schools. Right. And yet, like, what are we teaching kids really? <laughs> <laughs> Algebra. How to well yeah, and like how to be accountants, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do think algebra is the most useful of the maths, to be fair. You do. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I'm just, I literally just got done doing my taxes, so <laughs> that's, that's, that is actually one thing that I feel like they should teach you in school that they don't teach you. For sure. Susan, does anyone still ask you to do accountant shit for them? Of course they do. <laughs> of course they do. Do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> I have no interest. I have no interest. No amount of money. <laughs> Well, Susan, first of all, thank you so much for sitting with us. I found your perspective to be yeah, just like super refreshing and thought-provoking. And the question that we're asking everybody uh, is now that we are like, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully in late stage pandemic, what is something that you're excited to do? Something that you're like letting yourself be excited to think about when you can go outside again? <laughs> Go to concerts again, live music. Yeah, same. <laughs> that's an easy one yeah you Isabel oh I am just trying to be in every crowd possible I don't feel strongly about (laughs) concerts necessarily but I I do have this particular beatbox (laughs) battle that I really want to go to in Berlin (laughs) (laughs) that's what I'm looking forward to (laughs) hilarious (laughs) um Okay, Susan, uh, this is your time. Take this time to plug whatever you want to plug. You can find me on www.likewatersheflows. You can also follow me on Instagram, likewatersheflows. <laughs> um, that's my, my thing if you want to work together. Um, I'm always happy. If you're feeling that call that something needs to change, listen to that part of you. I'm here for you. Um, yeah. Cool. And you can find us at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Gmail, our Twitter, and our Instagram. Otherwise, bye everyone.